morning, everybody. Ah, good afternoon. I'm going to start saying good afternoon when we switch back to the mornings. My name is Peter Kroll. I'm one of the elders here for Grace Fellowship Church. Last week, I got an email from a longtime acquaintance. This email detailed out five or six points of contention that this person has with me spanning the last 10 years of our relationship. Most of it was not based in fact. It was not simply questioning my motives, although some of this did take place, but there are other parts of it that were lambasting me for doing things that I actually had not done and also for not doing things that I had done. And there was no question about some of it. This was clear, objective, verifiable stuff. How do you respond to something like that? I asked for some advice from, from others uh, that I trusted, and, and one wise counselor suggested that I begin my response to this email by affirming everything in the email that was actually true. And just start there and focus on my need to repent and my need to learn what God wants me to learn from this. And that was really good advice. I was very thankful for that. But I had one major obstacle with doing that, which is that I read this email and I reread it and I reread it and I reread it again and I could not find a single thing that was true. After almost 24 hours of prayer about this and consideration, God did begin to melt my heart to start to see what was right, what was good, what was true about this. But it was a challenging process because I knew that for almost everything in this email, I was right. I wanted to walk through this thing point by point by point to prove my case. But I'm really thankful God actually had something better in store for me. This is where Job finds himself in this afternoon's passage. We're in Job chapter 31 as we continue our study of the book of Job. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 280. Before we dive into it, you need to know that that. The man Job that this play is about, he suffered more than almost any other person in human history. He went from being higher than most people ever reach. He was a king with influence and authority and an army, and he had all kinds of influence. And he went from that to dropping lower than most people ever fall. The book of Job is written like a play where Job... And three friends of his who come along, they, they have debated Job's situation for more than 20 chapters. Speech after speech after speech after speech. And in chapters 29 through 31, we have Job's final speech. This is Job's closing statement. It's his final major speech. These contain his last words except for just a few short lines near the very end of the book. But Job's closing statement here in these three chapters, 29 through 31, they cover three topics. And we've already covered two-thirds of it. Today we're just in the last chapter. In chapter 29, he talked about how good life used to be. And then in chapter 30, how terrible my life is now. And here we are in chapter 31, where he talks about 
why I don't deserve anything that has happened to me. Job is fully convinced that he is in the right. His suffering is without cause. His suffering is without purpose. And he's convinced that he's perfectly innocent of any charge. And he is so convinced of this truth that he wants the entire universe to know how innocent he is and how right he is. So we're going to see four things as we study through this passage today. When you know you're right, be ready for these four things. Indignation, innocence, confidence, and vindication. And my main point this afternoon is that these four things, when you know you're right, these four things will feel so right to you. And often they are right for you to feel these things. But all of them have a dark side and they can also go very wrong. Let's pray and ask God to help us in our time here. Lord, you are the God of truth and you are the God of justice. And we ask you to help us learn from Job and help us learn to put our confidence not in ourselves, but in you. And we pray that you would vindicate yourself and your glory and your eternal justice. For all the ages, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now that Job has reached his closing statement, his final defense, his first reaction is one of questioning and wonderment. He can't believe what has happened to him, and he is indignant at his condition and how it doesn't jive with God's just order. Job 31, starting at verse 1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does not he see all my ways and number all my steps? In verse 1 here, Job begins with the most personal, the most widespread flaw in all of human history. (laughs) He made a covenant with his eyes. He's made a covenant is a binding legal agreement. And the covenant, the agreement he's made with his eyes is not to gaze at a virgin. That is, he will not gaze on any woman with illicit desire. In verses 2 and 3, he goes on to say, If I were guilty of such a thing, I would deserve calamity and disaster. Verse 3, calamity and disaster are reserved for the unrighteous. But the thing is, I'm not guilty, not even if you count desires and glances. I'm not guilty. Verse 4, he says, God sees everything, even my ways, God knows everything. He numbers all my steps. I would never get away with the least fault. When you know you're right, it makes sense that you would feel indignant when you are treated wrongly. How does this apply to us? Friends, when you feel that sense of injustice, when you have done what is right and yet you are treated wrongly, and you sense that injustice, you feel like something is not what it should be. This is actually God's image working out in you. 
This is your longing for the kingdom of God to come, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a very good thing. But we also know that indignation has a dark side, don't we? There is that aspect of indignation that begins with me and my behavior rather than with God and his glory. This kind of indignation fills us with powerful emotions. It gives us firmness of heart to the point of hardness, which leads us to stop listening to people and keep speaking to them. And it reminds us to remind others of what we deserve and what they deserve. And we get louder and we fight harder and we dig deeper and we worry more about defending than about persuading. That's the indignation I felt when I got this email last week. It's good to be fired up when God's glory is at stake, but my indignation was much more about my glory and my kingdom than it was about God's glory and God's kingdom. Friends, when you feel the indignation at being treated unjustly, let that indignation be a signal to you. Whose honor am I trying to defend? At least ask yourself the question, does God care about this injustice as much as I do? And if he does, then praise his glory and seek his honor. If he does not, then rethink your indignation, please. The rest of this chapter will make it clear to us whose honor Job wants to defend. So let's see how this goes. The next section about his innocence is verses 5 through 34. And these verses serve as a catalog of charges and a defense by Job against each one. I'm not going to cover every section today because it won't take us very long to get the point. And the point is this, Job knows he is innocent. He feels his innocence deeply, and he will go to any length not only to say that he is innocent, but also to prove that he is innocent. Let's look at a few of these charges. The first one is the charge of deceit. Verses 5 through 8. If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. If my step has turned aside from the way and my heart has gone after my eyes, and if any spot has stuck to my hands, then let me sow and another eat and let what grows for me be rooted out. In verse 5, Job states this possible offense of falsehood or deceit. It's introduced with the word if, which is repeated all through the chapter. If I have done this, if I have done that. In verse 6, we see his indignation coming out again, and it comes out all through the chapter in these parenthetical statements. Let God know my integrity. In verse 7, he gets more specific about the charge. If I've taken any false step, if I ever have ever desired more than I had, if I have had any lack of integrity whatsoever, verse 8, then let others deceive me. He says, 
Let me not keep what I tried to take. Let others have it instead. If I sow seed, let others eat the grain instead of me. He suggests a punishment to fit the crime. And his claim of innocence is implicit in his request in verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 6, for God to get involved. Job has nothing to hide. He wants God to see. He wants God to step in. He's innocent of any charge of deceit. Second charge, verses 9 through 12, is adultery. If my heart has been enticed toward a woman and I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down on her. For that would be a heinous crime. That would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For that would be a fire that consumes as far as Abaddon, and it would burn to the root all my increase. In verse 9, Job again states the charge with if. The charge is one of acting inappropriately toward another man's wife. In verse 10, he states the punishment. He says, if I've done this, then let others act inappropriately with my wife. And if you sense some graphic innuendo in this verse, you are reading it rightly. He is not demeaning his wife or questioning her faithfulness. He's merely saying that if he were guilty, he would deserve to have others do to him what he had done to them. If it were true. In verse 11, he gives the reason. It's because this is no ordinary sin, that of adultery. It is no small matter. It is heinous. In verse 12, he gives a second reason. It's because this sin is particularly fiery and it consumes as far as Abaddon. That's the grave, the afterlife. This sin erupts, it ravages, and it escalates. And Job says, I am innocent of any claim of adultery. Letter C. He goes on, and I'm not going to cover all of this middle section. But in the next stanza, he covers the sin of indifference. And then the following stanza, he covers the sin of stinginess. And then in the following stanza, he covers the sin of greedy idolatry. Those are all in verses 13 through 28. And he's making the same point every time. I am innocent. I am innocent. I am innocent. There is no evidence. If I had committed the least sin, then I would deserve what has happened to me. But I am not guilty. I don't deserve it. At the end of this section, verses 29 through 34, letter D, he goes into hyperdrive with his catalog and he talks about sins against one's neighbor where he says, if I have rejoiced at the ruin of him who hated me, or exalted when evil overtook him. I have not let my mouth sin by asking for his life with a curse. In other words, he clears himself against any charge of vengeance against his opponents who suffer. 31 and 32. If the men of my tent have not said, who is there who has that has not been filled with his meat. The sojourner has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the traveler. He clears himself of any charge of inhospitableness toward anybody. Verses 33 and 34. If I have concealed my transgressions as others do, 
by hiding my iniquity in my heart because I stood in great fear of the multitude and the contempt of families terrified me so that I kept silence and did not go out of doors. This last charge is that of concealment of his sin. This final issue, verses 33 and 34, it covers all the miscellaneous sins he might have committed against anybody else, but refused to confess it when confronted or tried to keep it hidden in the darkness so that nobody will know. He says, my life has always been an open book. I live out in the street. I did it there for everybody to see. And he has received counsel and he has received complaint with poise and humility. He is innocent of any charge of vengeance, of inhospitableness, of concealment. And notice how if you have the ESV at the end of verse 34, it ends with a dash. That's because this sentence never ends. Job doesn't even bother to state his innocence any further by the time he gets to the end of his catalog. His deeds speak for him. The evidence is plain. Nobody can bring any evidence against him of any wrongdoing. He he gets to the end and he doesn't even need to speak his defense any longer. He dares every listener to prove him wrong. The main point of this section, 5 through 34, is that Job calls down on himself all the curses of a just society and a perfectly just God. Job has no fear of any charge sticking to him. There is nothing to these charges, and he knows he will get off clean. I heard a sermon once in this chapter by a pastor named Aaron Messner who said this beautiful thing. He said, in this chapter, Job sounds like a self-righteous blowhard. But God has already vindicated this assessment. Remember in chapter 1, verse 8, God asks Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And in case you miss that, God says it again in chapter 2, verse 3. God has vindicated Job's innocence. Job is truly remarkable. How does this apply to us? Brothers and sisters, may God give us more Job's in our day. Men and women in our church, in our society, who do what is right simply because it is right before God. Those who have nothing to hide. Those who make the world a better place, but of whom this world is not worthy. Because God cares about every hidden corner in your life. Brothers and sisters, let us be people who fear God and who shun evil at every turn. But there's more for us to see here as well in this chapter. Job is innocent. Job is remarkable without a doubt. 
And his remarkable innocence leads him into a remarkable confidence. That's the next section. Verses 35 through 37. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. This little section expressing Job's confidence, it begins with this phrase that we've seen in Job many times. Oh, that. It's a phrase that appears more often in the book of Job than in any other book of the Bible. It's the phrase where Job expresses the deepest longings of his heart. Oh, here's what I wish. If only this could be true. And in verse 35, his wish here in this chapter is that he would have someone to hear him. And not just anyone. He says, let the Almighty answer me. He begs God, the one who is almighty over all, to give him an answer on his claims of innocence. He begs, at the the end of that verse, he begs for God's indictment against him. God, the one that he has considered his adversary through this book. He wants to hear what God has against him. Job wants to know why God has caused him to suffer so deeply. Job wants to know why God has made him to lose his servants and his camels and his donkeys and his cattle and his sheep. He wants to know why God has made him to lose all ten of his children. He wants to know why God has caused him to lose his health and his friends and his influence and his opportunity to do good in the world. He has dared his human adversaries to bring any evidence of guilt against him. And he now dares God to bring any evidence of guilt against him. And what would Job do? If God dared to bring him evidence of his guilt. Verse 36. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me as a crown. In other words, this would be his badge of honor. His expectation is that the evidence would be doctored. That the testimony would be fabricated. And he wants all the world, all the universe to see that Job is right and God is wrong. This is like when I got my email last week. If I said, I am going to take that email and I am going to put it on a t-shirt. I want everybody to see how stupid it is. I have nothing to be afraid of. (laughs) This is how Job feels. This is his confidence. In verse 37, he goes on to say, I would give God an account of all my steps. I have an answer to anything God has to say to me. He says, I would approach him like a prince. I would be the superior and God 
would acknowledge his defeat before me. Friends, Job has accused God of silence before this. And now he dares him into speaking and he seeks to assure God's continued silence. We begin to see some cracks in Job's fear of God in this chapter. He's modeled it so well through the whole book and he now dares God to challenge him and before the end of the book, he will get what he wishes for. And he is going to wish that he had just shut up sooner. How does this apply to us? Friends, our innocence always makes us feel so right and so justified. And it's true. Innocence should generate a measure of confidence. But let us be very careful here. Let us be very careful not to allow our confidence to become our undoing. Because when confidence turns into presumption, and presumption turns into self-assurance and self-righteousness, and our self-assurance turns into self-assertion and aggression, we're in danger. When you find yourself starting to rehearse all the things that you have done right, you just may have misplaced your confidence. Children, children, when you are caught in doing something wrong, when your parents talk to you, it's really tempting. It's easy to make excuses. It's really easy to blame other people. If your mom asks you, did you brush your teeth? And you say, well, I cleaned up the Legos. Be very careful, children. It's okay to be confident when you are right, but don't be so confident. Don't be so sure about yourself that you make excuses or get mad at others. All of us. It's normal to feel sad when you suffer. It's it's just normal. It's natural to expect your sadness even to have a measure of disappointment and maybe even anger. But please be careful that your anger at your suffering doesn't become anger arising from your suffering such that you become touchy toward anyone who doesn't understand your suffering perfectly or toward anyone who doesn't validate the injustice of your situation or that you become touchy toward the God who knowingly put you into that situation. This is Job's confidence and let us learn from it. The fourth thing that we see here is Job's vindication. At the end of this chapter, at the end of Job's final speech, Job expects the earth itself to erupt in praise of his innocence. Look at verse 38. If my land has cried out against me, and its furrows have wept together, if I have eaten its yield without payment and made its owners breathe their last, let thorns grow instead of wheat and foul weeds instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. This public vindication that Job seeks is not just a random way to end this speech. It is Job's 
Job's desire for his final outward vindication, not just my words, but the land itself to vindicate my innocence. He says, if I had done any wrong, the land itself would cry out against me. Verse 38. This reflects a typical ancient understanding of the connection between justice and the cosmic order. So if justice goes out of whack, so will the creation. And because the land has remained silent, because thorns have not replaced the wheat, because foul weeds have not replaced the barley, Job must be innocent. And so he rests his case. He has his vindication. He needs to speak no further. The evidence is there before us. His vindication is certain. And the words of Job are ended. This public vindication from the land itself gives us a slight hint of God's ultimate vindication that would come many, many years later when a righteous man named Jesus would come. And the time would come when this man, Jesus, would live according to all God's will. No deceit, no adultery, no indifference, no sins against his neighbor. His righteous actions would be indisputable. His character would be unassailable. Yet, he will be hounded and arrested and charged with things he didn't do. The evidence against him will not make any sense. The witnesses against him won't agree with each other. The governors over him will publicly declare that he is innocent of all charges, and yet they will still deliver him up to be executed like a traitor. He will suffer the loss of all things. Even his friends will abandon him and his God will utterly forsake him. And when the curses of the universe and all of God's fiery wrath descend upon him and Jesus dies the death he does not deserve to die, the rocks will crack and the earth will split open. And the graves will yield up their captives. The thunder booms and the sun goes dark in the middle of the day. The entire creation will unravel at the injustice of it. It will cry out for the vindication of this man's innocence. You see, Job was a truly remarkable man. And yet his fear of God cracked at his moment of greatest tension. Jesus came and he was not merely remarkable. He was perfect in every way. He was perfect in truth. He was perfect in purity. He was perfect in compassion and in generosity and in his worship and in his love. Though he was falsely accused and reviled, he didn't revile in return. Though his God went silent against him, he didn't ever accuse God of injustice. He didn't wear his righteousness on him like a crown. No, instead, he let the land sprout up thorns and he put those on his head like a crown. But you see, he didn't stay dead. He rose again and he came to claim his own. Friends, is this Jesus your God? 
Is he your hope? Is he your innocence? Is he your confidence? Is he the cause of your indignation in a fallen world? Are you willing to give up all claims to self-assertion and to self-righteousness? Because when you know you're right, it leads to indignation, it leads to claims of innocence, it leads to a deep confidence, and it leads to a quest for vindication. And these things are not always wrong, but they are misguided when it's your own honor that's at stake. However, when you know that Jesus is right, then you don't ever have to be. And it doesn't matter if people see that or not. It doesn't matter if people acknowledge that or not. You can receive accusation even in scary emails from old friends. And you can look for the truth, you can learn how to grow, and you can glorify God despite the injustice of your suffering. Let's pray and ask God for his spirit to help us. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you as the God of all justice. You are the God of truth and righteousness. Lord, may we never be people who stand up against you, daring you to challenge us. May we be the people who trust your word of us. Help us to rest in your declaration of our innocence because of what Jesus has done. And Lord, may that give us confidence as we seek you in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.